welcome to The Dream, The Date, and The Broken Bra. I am your host, Stephanie Brownyard. I have an insatiable desire for adventure and knowledge, and with this, I have been on a quest to discover what the purpose of life is and what it all means. In this podcast, we will embark on a journey, the journey of life. With my guest, we will share in stories and celebrate all that life has to offer from the challenging times to the victories of one's dreams, love, and life experiences. Through authentic conversation and thought-provoking dialogue, it is my hope you will unravel and uncover the magic that makes your life so extraordinary. We all come from different walks of life with different beliefs, but we all have similar desires and needs. Our paths are all so different, but yet we are all so connected. Let's come together to hear each other and to learn from one another and see the beauty in every experience, no matter how difficult or challenging it may be. In the process, we can all heal a little, have some laughs, and perhaps shed a few tears with a whole lot of inspiration. Join me on this exploration to uncover your magic. Are you ready? Hello, friends. Welcome to today's episode. I hope you're having a fantastic day, and I am so thrilled to have you here. And thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode with my friend, Kevin C. I love that this episode is airing during the month of May because May is designated as a National Military Appreciation Month to recognize and honor all U.S. service members. This was not planned, but perfectly timed as I get to acknowledge and honor my friend for his service. I always say I am grateful for the people in my life. Truly, my relationships are my biggest gift, and each one of them truly amazes me, and I find the intricacies of understanding people so fascinating. I love exploring each relationship for what it is and what it is not. Kevin is truly one of those friends who I really admire and respect to the fullest. Not only did he put his life on the line to serve our country to what I would say and know of at the highest level as a Navy SEAL, but also has a mindset and attitude that everything is possible and wants to explore life and challenge himself to the fullest in whatever he chooses. And honestly, to know him, he just is so relaxed and nonchalant about it all. Perhaps this is part of his mindset part of his rigorous training. And maybe this is what had him go into being a Navy SEAL and survive. But he really is cool as a pickle in any situation, but is something to learn from. What also stands out to me and I find so intriguing is Kevin's unwavering dedication. He always knew from a young man that he wanted to be a Navy SEAL and he achieved that dream. And then when he met his now wife, he knew instantly she was the one and they were married four months later. And when I say they are a perfect match, she is his perfect match. In our conversation, we go deep in Kevin's time and experience of training as a Navy SEAL and how he is now taking that experience and starting his own recruiting company in the life science industry. Just a few key points on Kevin. Kevin is a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy who has both served as U.S. Marine and Navy SEAL. He served 12 years in the military, did a couple deployments to the Middle East, lived two years in Korea, rode in a stealth boat along the border of North Korea, and married his wife only after four months. 
He now devotes his time to building his recruiting business for startup companies, strategizing human pretzel scenarios in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He surfs, he travels, and he really enjoys living the San Diego lifestyle. This truly was such a great conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. If you so kindly feel inspired to share this episode with a friend, family member, coworker, or anyone in between, I would really be so grateful. This really helps me spread the love and commitment people have to making this world a better place and sharing their journeys and inspiring stories. And as always, I love to hear from you. So please feel free to share your feedback and say hello at stephaniebrownyard at gmail.com or you can find me on most social media platforms at Stephanie Brownyard. Enjoy today's episode and make it a beautiful day. Hey, Kev. How's it going, Stephanie? Great. How are you? It's a beautiful day. No complaints on my end. I know. You look fresh out of the shower. Mm-hmm. I know you and Kristen, little K-Dog, just getting after it every day. Yup. Got to train every day. Keeps you sane when you sit inside all day at work. You have to do something to, to get outside, to be, be active, clear the head. Well, you guys are hardcore. I know I was hardcore once upon in my time. I mean, I probably am still hardcore, but you guys definitely inspire me. And I know you guys do CrossFit or jujitsu pretty much every day or one or the other every day. Yeah, we usually do like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, CrossFit, Tuesday, Thursday, and one day on the weekend, jujitsu. Obviously, that that fluctuates depending on, on mood and what we have going on, but something similar to that, you know, try and get five, six days a weekend. Yeah, you guys, I love it. And I love that you guys do everything. You guys usually train every day together. Yeah, yeah. most days, except for um, the, uh, Friday nights. Oh, yeah, that's right. Women's class, jujitsu. Yeah, you could come to that, though, and coach. I could. Sure it's could it's Christmas time to hang out with you guys, though. Yeah, I know. I love your wife. So just a little bit background. Kevin and Kristen are Blair and I's dear friends. And we're our little clique is very tight. So I love, you know, getting to know Kristen and Kevin. I always tell you that you're like the puppet master. You always like... <laughs> feel like you're you're effing with my mind and I know you've had a background and a training that not many people get to endure or like want to take on and I find that it's very honorable and it's also mysterious so your background you're a navy seal and how long ago was it that you embarked on that journey I went through buds in 2012 2012. So what is that like? I'm sorry, like 10 years ago? Almost exactly 10 years ago now. Yeah. And was that something that you grew up thinking that you always wanted to do or were you raised in a family? I met a guy who's my cousin's best friend um, when my cousin joined the Navy and he was a SEAL. I think I was 12 years old or something like that. Young and impressionable. Uh Uh-huh. Honestly, I, I was so enamored with it that I never figured out anything that I'd rather do. So for, it took me a while to get there. It's just, it's one of those things where it's almost more difficult just to get a chance at becoming a SEAL than it is mm-hmm. becoming a SEAL. I didn't go through training until I was 27. Oh, wow. So you were older. Mm-hmm. What was it about him that like sparked that interest in you or what was it about him that had you 
like so fascinated with it. It's just such a mysterious yet exciting world that he was describing. I, no, most people don't know anything about it, especially back then because I was late 90s. Mm-hmm. So there, there weren't any of these books. There wasn't that Discovery Channel documentary. There might have been a couple of Vietnam era stories that were out and about, but unless you knew someone in that community, most people didn't know what they were, who they were, what they did. And so hearing about it firsthand from somebody that was in that community, especially at that age, like that sounds so cool. That's what I want to mm-hmm. do. And mm-hmm. then just, it just gets stuck in your head. And I'm that type of person when I get something stuck in my head, I just I keep pushing until I either get it or I realize it's impossible to do. Mm. That's fascinating. So did your parents like support you in that or were they like trying to deter you from it? They've always been real supportive of everything I've done. I was a Marine before that, went to the Naval Academy. And so it was a long road to come. It wasn't like I, I one day came home and said, I, I enlisted in the Navy and I'm going off the buds tomorrow. Right. It was very apparent that this is what I wanted. I was constantly pushing myself to go down a path that, that would get me there. So you started that journey when you said you were in the Marine Corps. So that was like totally different division, correct? Yeah. So I, I went to the Naval Academy thinking that would be oh, a great cool. route to go. I mean, don't get me wrong. Naval Academy is a great school, a great opportunity. But in terms of becoming a SEAL, it is not necessarily the best route to take. It's another four years of school that you're going to before you even really officially join the military. There's no guarantee you're going to get it from there. In my case, I wasn't selected to go to BUDS from school. So I went Marine Corps instead. Oh. which took me a whole different route way out of the typical way people would go to become a SEAL. Extremely difficult in the sense that it's you're now dealing with different government agencies trying to get them to line up and let you do something. The Marine Corps and the Navy work together, but there's not a lot of cross-collaboration, I guess you can say. You don't, right. you don't just jump from one to the other, just like you don't jump from the Air Force to the Army or the Coast Guard to the Air Force. You know, they're their own organization. Are they rivals in any way? No, I mean, there's a sibling rivalry, you know, that competitive rivalry where you're on the same team, but yet like different. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's no animosity between the others. They're just different organizations. And so, you know, it's like going to one university and then saying you want to play football at another university. Like it, it just doesn't typically work out. So you have to leave one, go to the other, which is a huge process in itself. Right. So was your goal always to become a Navy SEAL and then you went these routes thinking that they would lead you to that? It was the best option I had at the time. Right. And the options that gave me, you know, the most meaning that was most exciting. So figured I'd just stick with it and I'd find a figure out a plan along the way. You know, number one to sit there and just stew over a plan until it's perfect. I usually have some kind of 70% idea of what I'm doing and figure out the rest on the way. I kind of love that. And you always said that you're like, things always just work out. And I always know that they're going to work out. Is that kind of been, I mean, we've had a recent conversation about that. Is that always been kind of your philosophy or was that something that you've adapted over time? I mean, you can look at it one of two ways. One, the universe is making sure I'm taken care of. Or two, you just have such a flexible mentality that no matter what situation you're in, you can always find another option to take and you just keep taking options and options and options. Whoa. You end up where you are or until you yeah. end up where you want to be. It's like, what comes first? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that's really profound. 
don't stress too much over any one decision. Yeah. You can always change your decision and go a different direction later. I think that's really profound because I know for me, I'm always like, I have to get it right. And I hear too, like, there's a perfectionism that I always try to achieve. But there, when you say like, oh, I just, I need to know 70% of it. Like it really gives up the whole perfectionism, Mm -hmm. the perfectionism ordeal, which to me, like you seem so meticulous and so... I don't want to say calculated, but you, I, like I said, you're orchestrating. It always feels like you're weighing out like the pros and cons. And I don't know if that's something like either a you're born with or that like through your rigorous training and mindset and discipline that you've maybe honed it. Maybe it was a part of you that you just kind of like honed in on. Yeah. I'm sure it's a little bit of both where, you know, you, you have a particular way of thinking mm-hmm. and as you keep working on that and it gets validated, you keep trying it over and over and over again, you just get better at it. Yeah. And you know, I, I definitely weigh the pros and cons constantly, but that that's all it's about. You know, it's kind of a, a binary way to go through life. You either are going to do this or you're not going to do this. And then you just find something that you, you just keep finding that on or off um, decision until you, you get to where you want to be. You know, I, I don't think, there's a right or wrong way to do it. Um, it's just, mm-hmm. it's worked well for me because I, I don't get stressed out if things don't really go my way. I'll just say, okay, this isn't working. I'll do something different. You mm-hmm. know, I, there, there's some people that plan very well and they want to have everything nicely lined up, which has its benefits. And then there's people like me, which are much more off the cuff and I'll make decisions on, on the way. Having a nice plan is, is good for some things. But if you get too attached to it, you'll, you'll end up heartbroken or frustrated. But sometimes going into it, something without a plan can be just as frustrating because you could have done some planning beforehand to make, it, made it, yeah, to make it a little bit easier. And so it's finding that balance between the two of, of just going through without a plan and, and going through with a perfect plan that may never get executed because you're constantly refining it. Yeah, I love that. And so you talk about like the plan. And so your plan was to go in to be a SEAL, but you had this other path. And then I heard attachments in there. So what was like your kind of, what was your like Naval Academy experience like? Was that like a positive experience or what did you go in to like learn? Or do you learn like a trade within the military at that time? Or what's that? No, it's basically a regular university in the sense that you're going there, you get a uh, bachelor of science degree and it's everything from, you know, English and history through math, uh, some kind of science or an engineering degree. Mm-hmm. It, as, as far as education, it's pretty typical. What is atypical <laughs> is the fact that, you know, you're, you are in the military, you wear uniforms, uh, you get some level of professional military education. So they have leadership classes, they have, nautical navigation, they have uh, military law, stuff like that, so that when you get out, you have skill sets that will be useful when, when you graduate. I would say overall, it was a net positive. Was it extremely frustrating and annoying along the way? Absolutely. What was annoying about it? It's, it's a very controlling environment, more so than the regular military. When you go there, are you signing up to go into the military as, is it a commander after, or like you have a certain rank? Like, and you have the Naval Academy, you either go into the Navy or the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so the Navy, you go in as an ensign. The Marine Corps is a second lieutenant. But both of them are the, the most junior-level officers. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they are training you for the military. Do you have to serve a certain amount of time, like, with your commitment in going into the Naval Academy? You know, five years when you graduate. Okay. So you have the first two years to decide. You leave within the first two years. It's no harm, no foul. You don't owe, any, owe anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you leave... From the, the third year on, there's actually a ceremony at the beginning of your junior year where you sign the, the paperwork saying that you're going to finish out your, your two years and then you'll serve at least five years. Oh, wow. Graduation. That's crazy. And then at that time, are you picking like the Navy or Marine Corps at that time? During your se- Well, throughout the time you're there, you get exposed to a bunch of different things during the summers, mm-hmm. you do training with both the Navy and the Marine Corps. And then your senior year, you put in your final choices. And right before Thanksgiving, they have service selection night where everyone figures out what they're going to be doing when they, when they graduate. So whether they serve on ships, they're going to be flying planes or helicopters, uh, submarines, SEALs, EOD, or Marine Corps. Marine Corps does its own selection process once you go through their training pipeline. So when you graduate from the Naval Academy as a Marine, it's just Marine ground or Marine air. And then yeah. from there, during the follow-on training, you get put in a, a specific field in the Marine Corps. So Marine Corps is air and water, correct? Mm-hmm. So what did you get selected for? I did communications. So <laughs> that's my personality, right? Yes. We're doing like satellites, of radios, course computers. You <laughs> You're controlling it all. <laughs> That's funny. So where were you stationed when you got out? Most of the time it was Pendleton. So here. Oh, okay, cool. And then, so you grew up in California, correct? Northern California. Northern California. So then you came, you got stationed at Pendleton and then you just kind of settled here in Southern California. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And then in San Diego as well. So for three years at Pendleton, then went down to Coronado, did a bunch of years down there. What does that mean? Coronado. Well, I know that. So you're in the Marine Corps and you served how long in the Marine Corps? Four years. Four years. And then from there, you went into the Navy? From there, I got out to go through uh, SEAL training. So left the Marine Corps, joined the Navy. It was a seamless process. It was like literally one day they processed me out of the Marine Corps. The next day I was officially in to the Navy and, and was sworn in there. But you had to serve your full time. Like you couldn't make that switch until like your commitment was done. Is that? They, they allowed me to serve my commitment from the Marine Corps, uh, the remainder with the Navy. Oh, okay. I did so another cool. eight years with them. So I, they got more than their pound of flesh. Right. So <laughs> their pound of flesh. <laughs> it's pretty much like it, right? A body. Okay. So then you sign up for the Navy. And at that time, even if you make, the buds are not, or if you go in to be a SEAL, you still have to serve out that commitment, correct? It was an all-in gamble. Mm-hmm. I didn't make it through SEAL training. The Navy would have owned me and they could have put me on a ship, a submarine, whatever right. they felt like doing with me. I didn't have a plan B in that case. Right. In your 28, you said at this time, going into the Navy? Just turned 27. 27. So you go in, are you like, holy shit? Or you're just like, yeah, we're going to do this. So you went to the Navy, like, because you also said back when not everybody gets that opportunity, what happened for you that you got the opportunity to go to BUDS? 
like I said, it's like you're going to one university and then you want to go play sports for another. You know, most people don't go to a school that they don't want to play sports at. They're going to go to the one they, they want to join. And that's how it typically is with, with SEALs too. You know, people don't typically join the Army or, or the Marine Corps mm-hmm. and then say they want to go to BUDS. So it's not like there's a huge competitive pool that I was competing against, mm-hmm. but um, the bureaucratic process of going through it. So I had to interview and kind of try out with uh, with the SEAL community. And then once they accept me, I take that letter and go to the Marine Corps and say, hey, mm-hmm. they've said they want me, but they need you to let me go and join the Navy. So that has to go all the way up through the Marine Corps chain of command. Uh, literally to the commandant's office. They need to say, we're good with letting you go. And then the Marine Corps needs to talk to the Navy and they need to figure out what date I'm going to leave one and join the other so I don't have a break in service. It literally took eight yeah, eight months from the day I got the letter saying that the, the SEALs accepted me to go through their training program to when I actually left the Marine Corps. Is that considered a long time or a short period of time in terms of I think process. it's normal for that process. Yeah. But I mean, when you're sitting around waiting to hear and you don't have much information along the way, it's excruciatingly slow. Yeah. Because you're just like, I want to go. Well, also, y- your command doesn't know what to do with you. They're like, we don't know when you're leaving. So we're not going to have you uh, go to another unit. We're not going to have you deploy. So I was, there's a lot of sitting around kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. And yeah. And you're like, knowing your personality, you're just like chopping at the bit. Like, so, and at that time though, too, like, are you aware of like the rigorous training or have any idea like once you go and if you go, what that is like, how are you preparing your mind for that at that time and body, I guess? I was pretty fortunate. A lot of my friends from the Naval Academy went through training. I was so went through what they went through. They went through. Okay. So, the guys that got sealed straight from the Naval Academy. I was still mm-hmm. in touch with them. So I'd, I'd chat with them about what they had going on and just, you know, hearing stories through through my friend network of, of what they went through. So I wasn't going into it blind. You know, I, I yeah, had but still, like, how do you prepare? I mean, again, it's like kind of a mystery. And I, like you say, at that time, there's probably not that much news or information about it because it was kind of like this closed book, so to say, like a secret society. Now there's like more information about it, but it still seems like this mysterious like society and only the elite of the elite. So, I mean, even hearing and talking about it, it's like, that's one thing, but actually physically doing it and mentally preparing is like, I feel like a complete different thing. It is. But at the same time, you know, I've I've wanted it for so long at that point. Mm -hmm. And you're old at that point. You're 27 now. Your body is old. I was not wrong. <laughs> uh, I mean, did, I'd wanted it and been training for it. So I, I didn't have to, it wasn't like I had to, to go through a, a mental shift. It wasn't mm-hmm. like I was someone that was sitting around on a couch and all of a sudden I was going to go run a marathon. You know, I've been, I was still very active in the Marine Corps. Uh, I was doing CrossFit then. I was uh, an instructor with their martial arts program. And I always just dabble around a bunch of different things. So, I was always very active, so I didn't have to change much about my daily habits once I got there. That was just part of who I was. Oh, interesting. And that's who that's who's typically successful. You know, if you're right. you're having to fight against who you are as a person, it's going to be much more difficult to get through something like that than someone that enjoys working out, that enjoys being put in type two fun, 
stuff that maybe not so enjoyable at the at the time, but afterwards makes for great stories. Right. What? So that, is that what type two fun is? Yeah. Yeah. So like when Chris and I hiked the Grand Canyon 50 miles over over four days, mm-hmm. that'd be fun. Walking 50 miles, it's not fun. Yeah. But looking back but on the satisfaction, it, yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. You had uh, a fun experience. It uh, makes for for good memories and and, and uh, good conversations. Mm-hmm. You're happy. You're happy you did it. You are happy you did it when it's done. But during it, you're cussing yourself out. You're like, who puts on a backpack and walks for 50 miles? Right. That's funny. Yeah. Let's go through Bud's training just for Type Two fun. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you're sick half, in the head, dude. Half the reason I made it through, like, I know Bud's isn't what being a SEAL is. It is just right. the, it's the vetting process. And it was my curiosity of what SEALs actually do. Uh-huh. They don't, they don't just roll around the sand on the beach, getting wet and sandy, beat up by their instructors. That's, that's not what being a SEAL is. That's just the entry process. I wanted to know what they actually did, what type of training they did, what type of missions they went on. And that's what drove me to succeed. Right. It was like thinking past that almost. Yeah. I, I was not looking getting caught up. Folks. And maybe at that age, like the maturity that you had at that point, it was like a perfect time because don't aren't like a lot of people going through it, like 18 to like 20, perhaps. I think the average age is like 24 because there are some older ones uh-huh. uh, that go through. Like there's one guy in my class, I think he turned 35. Oh, wow. I didn't think they let people that old through. He had a special exemption. But okay. it, so I think the, the average age is like 24, 25. Because, you know, uh-huh. you do get the, those 18, 19 year olds that go through. But you also have people like me that are in their, their late 20s. And so it um, it evens it out. But yeah, it, it definitely made me much more comfortable in that situation because I'd already gone through the Naval Academy. I'd already yeah. gone through the Marine Corps um, initial training. I'd done four years with the Marine Corps. I had a pretty good idea of how the military worked and just the mind games they like to play mm-hmm. to to stress people out. And so if you're if you don't realize that everything they're doing is is, is part of a, a larger game, you're you're gonna get caught up in, in the emotions and get stressed out and which is gonna stress out other people around you and then um stress is contagious and, and hysteria is contagious and people start freaking out and then they turn on each other and everything becomes much more difficult. Where if you go into it knowing that the instructors are yelling at you because they need to yell at you, they're trying to make you uncomfortable and you just let it go. You can yeah. go into it with a much more stable mindset and it it's not nearly as bad. Right. And I know like, I mean, this is only a, a little degree of it, but I know like with the jujitsu training, it's like being comfortable with the uncomfortability. It sounds kind of like, and you, you can kind it almost sounded like you disassociated from like the whole experience a little bit just to yeah you probably have to right it's the same exact way you're getting stacked on top of yourself are you gonna freak out and start hyperventilating yeah the pulse or are you just gonna sit there and realize that they don't have a choke on you it's just an annoying position that you're in yeah and to think of a way to get out of it yeah right it's always like well and it's yeah it's like super quick thinking to kind of come up with a solution right yeah Yes. The difference um, between buzz and jujitsu is that jujitsu, you know, a round is over in five minutes. The, the class <laughs> over in an hour, where buzz goes on for six months. Right. So keep that m- mindset of, all right, today's gonna be another uncomfortable position. It's gonna be the same as before. You're gonna get through it, and you're gonna do another day, and another day, yeah. and another day. Right. 
So just a little statistic, and you can say if this is true or not, that I just got off online is each year about a thousand recruits make it to SEAL training. About 250 complete their training and join approximately 2,000 more active SEALs who work among nine active duty teams. Some SEAL candidates choose to drop out of the program and some are forced out. Is that pretty accurate, like on the numbers of? Yeah. Yeah. And the, the number that wasn't in there was, you know, how many people want to become SEALs? How many people put in an application mm-hmm. uh, with the Navy to become a SEAL? How many of them complete the training? Uh, and how many of them are actually accepted? So you know, the thousand that are accepted, how many thousands are lining up behind them yeah. trying to get a spot? And that's that's what I was was coming into every day when I was in the Marine Corps. And even when I was at the Naval Academy, I was just, I kept trying to get the chance to try it. And I yeah. wasn't given that chance, you know, it, from graduating the Naval Academy, it took me uh, three and a half years of, of trying to get over there. Every, is it every year you are like applying or whatnot? Uh, I started applying about two Two and a half years in. No, I, I waited till I got back my first deployment. So that was twenty, end of twenty ten was when mm-hmm. I put in my first application. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't get that one. Put in a second application uh, in twenty eleven. Got the response at the end of twenty eleven and left the Marine Corps in twenty twelve. Oh, cool. So I mean, yeah, because I have other friends. You know, I used to train at US CrossFit under Mark Devine, who is ex-Navy SEAL as well. And he has his unbeatable mind program. But did you train there as well? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mark actually wrote one of my letters of recommendation when I was trying to transfer. Oh, cool. So did you train? Because I know now you're at Counterculture. So were you training there before? Because I know SEALs like who are prep or people who want to go into the SEALs come and train under Mark to kind of get that. Is that what you did too? Yeah. Before my first deployment, uh, I was training there. So I was living in Del Mar at the time. And I'd actually heard about Seal Fit when I was still living on the East Coast. I just thought it was an online training program. And so I was mm-hmm. doing some of the, the workouts from there. Yeah. And when I moved from Virginia out to San Diego, I was uh, on the website. And I, for some, I was looking for something. I scrolled down at the bottom. You know how they have the contact information. And it said, mm-hmm. whatever, Second Street. Encinitas. Yeah. I was like, wait a minute. I've seen Encinitas. I didn't, I didn't actually know Encinitas, but I drive through it. Driving oh, oh, okay. All the uh-huh. time. I was like, I know Encinitas. I can drive over. It's like five miles away, 10 miles away. Oh, that's funny. And so I started, I drove over there one day and just showed up like, hey, uh, I've been paying for your programming online. And I just moved out here and saw that you have a facility here. So I stopped the, the online membership and started doing the in-person seal fit slash U.S. CrossFit stuff. Cool. And that was before Bud's? Yeah, that was yeah. in 20, 2009. Okay. I must have just missed you. I think we realized I just missed you. Or I think maybe you were training with Blair. We must have just somehow Chris, crisscrossed or something like that. Yeah, um, I was there from 2009 until the beginning of 2010. And then when I came back from yeah. my deployment, uh, I went a little bit. But a lot of the people that I knew that I'd hang out with before, uh, a lot of those guys either moved away or went off to buds. And mm-hmm. so when I came back, it was, it was just a different crew, which is fine, but I didn't have the same attachment that I did before. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely like, it was my first experience of CrossFit. And then as I've gone on to do different CrossFits, it's like very different than CrossFit. Cause it was just more like endurance and 
you know, yeah, military based, but it was cool being in that environment because it was kind of everyone was just, you know, it was like very close knit group. It was a close knit group and it was very catered towards like military training or like in you. Yeah. And you suffer together. <laughs> so you got the opportunity going to BUDS. And what is BUDS? Because I my understanding, it's a six month program. Yeah. So the first part, BUDS probably. So BUDS stands for basic underwater demolition slash seal training. So it's B-U-D slash S. And everybody. So out of the thousand recruits, you that get the opportunity to go to SEALs are going to go through this training or is there more training just to get to this point? No, that, that well, the, the, the enlisted guys, when they first enlist in the, uh, in the military, they'll go out mm-hmm. to Great Lakes where the mm-hmm. Navy has their boot camp. Mm-hmm. So everybody joining the Navy goes out to Great Lakes, Illinois. And uh, it's their initiation into the military as a whole. More Did you recently, have to do that part since you no. already? Okay. Yeah, I was already in the military. <laughs> mm-hmm. But more recently, I think in like the last 15 years or so, because guys that are trying to become SEALs are obviously in great shape and they're, they're training to a whole different level than the average person joining the military. What they're realizing, you know, they put everybody from people who are going to be cooks and supply people and people serving on ships and SEALs all in the same group during boot camp. What they're seeing is that the guys that were trying for SEALs were actually decreasing in their fitness because uh, they're getting everyone at the same baseline. Yeah. Um, so they started sending all the uh, the bud students to boot camp together, mm-hmm. and they would give them a, a separately curated experience with additional fitness, like swimming and, and breath holding, stuff like that. Plus, it allows everybody in the class to get to know each other Bond. a little bit more yeah. instead of just showing up on day one of buds and meeting everyone. They mm-hmm. now have all of boot camp there together as well. So it helps with that camaraderie, uh, which in itself is a huge benefit to have when you go through BUDS. Did you do that experience or you didn't? Okay. I joined the class when I just showed up in Coronado. And that's that's phase one. Is it like phase one? Uh, well, that's just boot camp. And then they okay. show up and then BUDS is down in Coronado. And that's six months. Phase one, phase two, phase three. Phase one is just, can you take punishment? Phase two is the, the diving. And phase three is land warfare. So we do shooting, demolition, and very basic stuff in terms of military tactics, but it's getting everyone to the same baseline again because most people that join the military don't have weapons training. They definitely right. don't. Very few people have explosives training whatsoever. So getting everyone the same level of, of skill set with shooting a pistol, shooting a rifle, setting explosive charges, that's all done in, in phase three or third phase. After that, then they started streamlining the, the training. They used to have people just go to their SEAL teams and then they get on-the-job training at the team, they realized that people were getting very different levels of, of training depending on where they went. So they standardized it all. Uh, and now you go to SQT, which is SEAL Qualification Training. Mm-hmm. And that's another six months where you mm-hmm. learn the very specific tactics that SEALs use. So when you show up with the SEAL team now, you have more of the fundamental building blocks to become a skilled operator. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, too, because you're saying like at this point, they're all trying to get everybody caught up to like the same level. So everyone's coming in at different levels. But is that where the discrepancy is of what's like torturous to people? Because some people just might not be able to get to that level. Is that and then they drop out or they're not making it? Yeah. So the the first phase is, is just how how much you can uh, be a glutton for punishment. You know, that's when you, you see all the 
uh, iconic pictures of guys just wet and sandy, running around with the boat on your head, doing the log PT with a you know, holding the logs either here or overhead, doing stuff. That's mostly first phase, unless your class. And how long is that phase lasting? Once two months. One to two months. Two months. All of them. Two so months. first, second, third phase are all two months each. Do are they like? I mean, are you up like twenty four hours, seventy two hours, or like what's what's your normal, typical like day of training? If you're just looking at it from the outside, it just looks like pure mayhem. But it's actually a very organized, scheduled, uh, pre-planned hmm. series of evolutions for a whole six months. Like even Hell Week, which is nonstop, twenty-four hours a day from Sunday night till Friday morning, so it's one hundred and ten hours of. Is that before Phase One? That's during oh, Phase One. Okay. That's in, that's in the middle of Phase One. Even though that's one hundred and ten hours straight, they actually have a very specific schedule of, you know, you know, the first two hours they call breakout. There's just mayhem going on. They're shooting guns and flashbangs and smoke grenades, and everyone's running around, get wet, sandy. All that's very organized, and then after that. You know, they're going to have you do surf torture and then they're, they're going to have you run around the boat on your head. There's going to be a meal and then they're going to run around more of the boat on your head and there's going to be a snack and then there's going to be uh, more surf torture and then there's going to be a snack. And then there's... This is all this phase one? This is all like hell week. Like it's literally just 110 oh, hours straight. And this is in phase one. Mm-hmm. Is that where the majority of people drop out or don't make it? Is yeah, phase one? probably get 80, 80% of the people quit rough number will be during phase one uh-huh. uh the rest of the people who don't make it through training at that point typically uh fail some kind of evolution it's like the water one right is because you're is i always hear like the water is because phase two is the water right where you're like going in freezing cold water and you have to like it's not freezing cold water it's it's all the dive training so you start out with uh open circuit training so typical mm-hmm. scuba diving or sorry yeah typical scuba diving stuff uh, where you know you, you breathe in air from a tank, you exhale, it goes out mm. into out into the water, mm-hmm. uh, and then after you make it through that pretty uh, pretty challenging series of events that they have, then you go into closed circuit training, which is breathing pure oxygen. So you're breathing pure oxygen out of a tank, goes in through one hose. When you exhale, it goes back into the system, and there's a complex series of, of chemistry and physics that happens, but basically it scrubs out everything other than the oxygen. And so you mm-hmm. can keep breathing stuff. So uh, about the size of a football, you can be underwater for about four hours. Oh, interesting. But you don't go very deep. You're okay. hanging out around 10. I've always heard stories of people getting like hypothermia and just mm-hmm. like getting pneumonia. I don't know if it's that point, but just, you know, I, I had someone else I knew that I could not get past that point because every time they got to the water and the hypothermia or they get pneumonia and just they couldn't get past that point like two or three times i mean there's a huge amount of making it through buds that is just pure luck like my first time going through really uh, you think it's pure luck i mean it's not all pure luck obviously but there's a lot of luck involved like my first time going through hell week i got what's called site which is swimmer induced pulmonary edema the Mm -hmm. sort of it is you have blood in your lungs and it's not good um yeah but there's nothing i could have done there's nothing i could do about it. uh you can't breathe very well see uh my blood oxygen um what i call it? blood oxygen saturation was down into the 80 percent. oh shoot and they still let you go on no they they rolled me out of that class it basically feels like everywhere you're you're going you're at a full sprint because you're just not yeah. enough oxygen like have you ever been to 
uh, Breckenridge up in Colorado and gone skiing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've gone straight from San Diego to Breckenridge and you try running around. It's, it's miserable. Yeah. That's what having Skype is like. Obviously, it can get much worse and you can die from it if you keep getting more and more fluid. Yeah. So. Well, because you're not getting blood to the, you're not getting oxygen to the brain, right? Yeah, you're basically so, running your own lungs. So you got, so that happened on your first time and then what you got put back? Did you have to go back through phase one again? From the very beginning, yeah. And then how long did you have to wait? Like, were you devastated? Like, so, okay, so you, so your first attempt going through at phase two, you got this? No, so uh, Hell Week is about halfway through phase one. It's uh, okay. the fourth week of phase one. Uh-huh. And so I've done, so actually, it's actually the seventh week, sorry. And so, you know, you've done all this training to get there and you get rolled out of your class. Now you have to start all the way back at the beginning for the whole nother class. You, have, you know everything. Oh, and you're all like your people. New, it's new people, but more importantly, it's yeah. all the things you just did. And you know exactly what you just did. You have to do... Oh, yeah. Your, you're like, <laughs> your head knows. So they don't like punish you? Like, how come they allowed you to go back? Like, if you didn't make it through, like, what makes it that someone... Dr- drops out or gets injured to where they can't come back again like how do they allow you to come back so there there's two types of reasons that you can get dropped from training there's mm-hmm. there's three ways you get out of training one you quit mm-hmm. like i just don't want to do this anymore I, i'm either you know sore kind of hurt or whatever but mostly i just don't want to be here anymore mm-hmm. uh, the other two ways are you get hurt or you fail in evolution Mm-hmm. I mean, what's co- you know, what constitutes as feeling and evolution we have we have timed runs we have to do four mile time oh really uh once a week we have time swims <laughs> uh two mile time swims and uh the obstacle course mm-hmm. is a timed evolution so any of those those are firm numbers that you need to match and if you don't if you don't reach those and you fail too many then mm-hmm. they'll drop you from training and depending on how how much they like you and what the, the class backlog is behind you, they'll either roll you into another class or just drop you from training altogether. Mm-hmm. On the injury side, they'll usually give you about six months to, to heal. So, you know, if you break your leg, break, I've seen guys break femurs. Sometimes mm-hmm. even six months isn't going to be a long enough to, to get back in. Uh, where mine, once you get warmed up and kind of get a chance to rest, your body heals itself just like mm-hmm. think of like having a flu or pneumonia you know you're, you're naturally just going to heal up once you get a chance to rest mm-hmm. uh, so for me it was it's a pretty quick healing process so they're able to put me in the class um following that where guys that fail evolutions <laughs> or guys that quit it's they're not going to be as uh, as kind unless they just really like you maybe you know you, you were hurt and you just weren't going to make the time run because you sprained an ankle and you kept pushing through. But they, they recognize that there's extenuating circumstances. You know, guys aren't going to quit because they sprained an ankle. Right. But you're not going to run four miles on sands as well with a sprained ankle. So you might uh, might not meet the standards. So the instructors will see, you know, they'll recognize that you put out, that you didn't quit, that you're in pain. And they'll sometimes let you uh, recycle back through. Yeah, I remember hearing David Goggins' story, like listening to his story. You're obviously you're familiar with him, yeah. I, I know of him. I've never actually met him though. Yeah, I, well, I've just I've listened to his book, and that was like I think he had like a broken leg and like kept going. But I know like the time runs, I believe, was like a thing for him. But 
Um, so at this point, you get this thing and you have to, like, what are you doing for the six months then? Are you like, like just trying to heal? Do you have to still work in as like in the Navy or like, what do you They, they have a, a holding unit where guys that have been rolled out of a class or guys that are waiting to, to class up, uh, they, you know, they, they show up every day. They do moderate level of training, but it's, it's like being in purgatory. You, Oh, you, you go there every day, you run, you swim, you do these training evaluations. They're obviously not trying to get you to quit from, yeah. the, from this holding unit, but it's not easy. And every day that you show up there is more strain on your body, but you're not actually making any progress forward. Did they give you time? Did they give you time to heal your, your lungs? I asked to get put right into the next class, which started five days later. So I got rolled out Tuesday night. I thought I officially got rolled out Wednesday morning hell week and I was in the next class Monday morning. Oh my God, Kevin. Well, I didn't want to sit around. Were, for, so I, I know I get that, but so you weren't really probably fully healed, right? Yeah. I had enough time. Yeah. So, so now you're going in, you have to redo at that. What point, like how many weeks had, cause you, that was phase one. Like how many weeks had you gone through at this point to then have to, how many? Six and a half. Six and a half. So now you have to repeat the six and a half. At least you weren't like in phase three or something and have to go. But there's a couple There's a couple of reset points. So after you finish Hell Week and you go from mm-hmm. a white t-shirt to a brown t-shirt showing mm-hmm. that you're post Hell Week. Oh, you don't have to go back. There, there's some guys that are so messed up after Hell Week, they can't keep going with that class, mm-hmm. but they'll get credit for finishing Hell Week. And mm-hmm. so they'll join up with a later class after that class finishes Hell Week. Okay. Um, okay. there's another reset point at, um, once you finish phase one and go into the dive phase, there's another reset point after you finish what they call pool comp, which is the, mm-hmm. the rigorous final exam, I guess you can say, mm-hmm. uh, scuba diving portion. Mm-hmm. You can make it past that, but again, get hurt. They'll, they'll start you post pool comp. Um, and then phase three is the next one. And phase three, you just have to do the whole way through. We go out to San Clemente Island for seven of the eight weeks. We do a week of land nav, and then we go out to San Clemente Island for seven weeks. So you got through the first phase then with no problem on your second time? Was yeah. it harder? After after um, that first roll, I went straight through the, the class, through the rest was of the Was it hard? Or was like, because you're like, I already know this, or was it, it was, harder the second time? It was significantly time? easier the second time uh-huh. because... The, the surprise is, is gone. You know, mm-hmm. almost everything what's going on. And you know the instructors too, mm-hmm. which, which helps. You know a lot of the personalities. Right. And then after that, how was each phase after that? Each one had its own challenges. Which one was the hardest? I hated second phase. And it was, like, I, I enjoyed diving. I like being in the water. I like diving. Uh, but you have all your gear on, right? You're like so it's wet. Even, it's not even that. Uh, it's the games that they play uh-huh. with our class specifically, they, they had a bone to pick for some reason with us. And so from the beginning, when we showed up at, at second phase, it was just for lack of better words, a lot of fuckery. I was going to say, because I feel like you're a person that like, you don't allow people to fuck with you. Like, how do you bite your tongue and not, I mean, I know you probably have all the respect and again, it's like, course of like where you want to get and what you have to do. So you probably could put it aside, but I really don't see you like someone of like, sometimes you're, 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 bite your tongue. 
Yeah. God. Yeah. So it was more like the mental part at that point in phase two was the challenging part. The the training itself was fine. It was Mm -hmm. just a lot of stupid games that they were playing with us that made it particularly miserable. Mm -hmm. And it was in the middle of winter. So we started second phase November. Oh, geez. Maybe I think it was the end of October. Uh Uh, So it's cold. To give you an idea, uh, one of our, our dives we had to do in the bay in December they they were mad at us, and so they told us to take our wetsuits off. We had to do the whole dive without a wetsuit. Just like, what? <laughs> it's so cold. And is it is it nighttime or is it like during the day at least? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's just little things like that to mess with you. Where you know it's, it's not any one thing that they do. It's always the accumulation of all the things that have happened already. And you know that most of those things are probably going to happen again in the future. Mm -hmm. Like, do you really want to keep doing this? Mm -hmm. Is it worth it? Yeah, I bet. Like, do you ask that question a lot during the time? Or you just try not to think about it? I just need to get through this because I know this Mm -hmm. isn't what it's like. Mm -hmm. I just need to keep pushing through and it'll eventually be over. I'm so fascinated by it because, again, it's like it's so mysterious. It's like hush hush. But I know. um, So you finally make it through. So phase two is your hardest. What's like graduation like? So I guess you go through all the other phases. What? Because now you windle down. You are now with another team. You're bonded with that second team then again, I guess, because your first team, do you finally get bonded with those, with those people? Do Are you kind of then like a leader? Cause now they already know that you've gone through it or are you like, yeah. how is that? It, it, it definitely helps being able to tell people what they can expect. You know, mm-hmm. n- nothing compares to actually you've gone through it and, and experienced it before, but hearing firsthand what all the evolutions are going to be like, what it's probably going to feel like and look like and what to expect. It, it helps them ease their, their nerves and anxiety a little bit. Um, And so then what is graduation day like? They hand us a certificate and say, congratulations, you start SQT in a week. Oh shit, you only get a day, a week off? It wasn't even a a week off. Is we had, we had a lot of processing stuff. So you have to get processed out of that unit. You have to check in and and there's a bunch of gear you need to get now that you finish buds. Mm -hmm. You're, you're not a SEAL yet, but you get a lot of the gear because mm-hmm. you have to go through the, the same training. And so there's so much stuff. Oh, yeah. There's another six months of training, right? Yeah. At that point. Are you like, are you overwhelmed with joy? Are you tired? Are you, like, what's your emotional state at, at that point? Over it? <laughs> I feel like it's like when people in, in business are like, I just want to make $200,000 this year. And then they hit $200,000. They're like, cool. Uh, let's make 300,000 now. This is always something else. You you finish that milestone. You're like, cool. What's next? And you finish that one. Cool. What's next? And there's, there's honestly probably a lack of gratitude that should be felt, but you're just so in it that you just don't care that that's done. You're like, cool. Happy that's done. Happy that's behind me. But my focus is now on this next, this next Mm. hill that I need to get over. Yeah. Uh, I remember a lot of people telling me like, dude, you need to, 
you should be really proud of where you're at. Like, yeah, I don't care. I need, I need to get to this next thing. And then once you finish SCP, now you get to a SEAL platoon, you perform there. And then you go to another one, then another one. It's always one more thing you're trying to do, you're trying to improve. It's, it's kind of a, an endless cycle of self-improvement. Do you think, though, that's a trait of you? Could be. Yeah. Um, so you go through the next six months. And it, is the, the next six months as dramatic as the first six months? Because are they still, like, just not trying? Are they, at this point, you're a SEAL? Are, like, people quitting at this point? Or is it just, like, you're good? Pretty much no one quits at this point, And they're not trying <coughs> to get you to quit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they're, they're pushing you. Throughout SEAL training, even once you're a SEAL and you're at a platoon, you're going through your workup cycles for deployment. Mm-hmm. They're constantly making you miserable and pushing you to your limits. They, mm-hmm. they that's why they the the SEAL training motto is uh, no, the only easy day was yesterday. <laughs> you're you're always you're always pushing the limits of what you think is possible, and you know, they they say that uh, even in buds you're going to be cool than when you get to the teams because you, you know, you're in the water longer. You're, uh, you're working in, in snowy or something environment. And once you get into deployments, you know, it's not a controlled training environment anymore. Right. It's not instructors sitting there with the medical staff and the ambulance t- keeping a strict record of activity level, water temperature, air temperature, how much you've eaten. Like when you're on deployment, you guys are fending for yourself and mm-hmm. you're either getting the mission done or you're not. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you're putting yourself in some very precarious, dangerous situations. Uh, and that's what they're trying to train the mindset to. Of, of don't think of this as just get through training and then you're a seal and you've made it. It's, it's always challenge yourself, push yourself. Don't, uh, don't rest on your laurels. Always try to uh, earn your spot there in the team's. That's cool. And I mean, I think like your mindset of like, what's next, what's next. I mean, that maybe if it was um, a part of your trait of like your innate trait, it also probably helps serve you because it sounds like it's always like, what's next, move forward. You're always preparing. And um, I mean, that's basically how I'm running my business now too. Yeah. It gives me a hard time where all by, by all metrics, last year was a su- successful year. Mm-hmm. But as you're building a business, it's... Yeah, you can't rest on your laurels, right? <laughs> so you wanna... For our first year, we had a very good first year. Mm-hmm. What I want the company to be, we're nowhere near that. So that's how I'm comparing it. It's not a, how did we do this year relative to other companies in their first year. It's how are we doing as a company compared to how I want the company to be. And so that's how I'm always pushing myself uh, and it can get it can get frustrating, you know. You that's how you yeah. get burned out. Uh, if you if you're never acknowledging that you've you've come a long way, you're just only looking at the obstacles in front of you of what you need to get over instead of looking behind you and seeing all the obstacles you've overcome. Uh, you, you need to set some time aside to to recognize what you've accomplished. You know, d- don't be don't be satisfied and complacent with it, but you know, acknowledge that you've done some great things that you that you've overcome hurdles, that you've uh, performed performed well, and that you have to keep doing that. Just looking at it as a, as a constant improvement metric instead of uh, only looking at what's in front of you and, and what what you're failing at at the moment. Because it's very easy to get sucked into that, that mindset of, oh, we didn't get this done. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's like a human trait, right? But I think, what do you think you do to acknowledge or like, do you stop or? I have Christian. Yeah. <laughs> She's a good egg, that one. But I know too, she always like always says how she gets frustrated because she's like, I do all this stuff and then it just works out for Kevin. You know, she's so cute. But, um, and I know too, I mean, you guys, like from the outside looking in, you guys are like living the dream, right? You have, now you have your own business and you guys work together, which is probably an interesting dynamic. And then you just travel everywhere. You're gone Pretty much like every month you guys are off doing an, an adventures and I know you guys love your adventures. Um, you know, you got your little animals around you and you cook, you garden. It just, it seems like, you know, you have the balance too, because, um, you know, might not recognize it, but your life is pretty full from my perspective. Oh, yeah. Like we were just talking about this morning, you were saying... Yeah, it's not. It's not that often that, in your thirties, and in Christian's case, being thirty, owning a house in the town that is your dream town. I, I yeah. can't think of a better place to permanently live than here in Encinitas. We have pretty much everything you can possibly want to include great weather and great friends. And great friends. <laughs> we we have our our bubbles. It's a real thing. Yeah, our our gym is three miles away. Our yeah. gym is two and a half. The beach is a mile away. We go everywhere on our e-bikes because it's it's sunny and beautiful out and we can get there within a couple minutes. Yeah. So absolutely recognizing what you have. But we also went into this knowing that this was never meant to be a, a business that we're like, we're just going to keep working at it until we're successful. And then we're, when we're successful, we'll relax because that's, that's a moving metric. What is success? How much money is enough? How much revenue is enough? How big of a business is, is enough? And so you just get into this, like we were talking about where, you, you hit that milestone and then all you're doing is looking at the next one instead of enjoying what you have. Mm-hmm. And so we've been very conscious about building in fun now so mm-hmm. that it, it's, that's the, the, uh, the rhythm that we uh, do because otherwise you know, you'll see yourself 40, 50, 60 years old, finally, maybe uh, by your standards uh, successful but you've just squandered all that time because you were devoting everything to business. So could we be doing better? Could we be building the business and being more successful, putting all this time and effort into it? Absolutely. But what's the fun in that? Yeah. And I mean, I feel like shit, you've like accomplished, like going back to something that no one's ever accomplished at that point. What's, you know, like what is next? You're like, yeah, I, I, I mean, if you take that mentality of what you did, you can accomplish anything, I would think. And like you said, you're you're applying it to your business. And well, we can talk about that. You so you left the military after just kind of kind of close that conversation. So you you did the Navy SEAL thing and you left after 12 years mm-hmm. and then you went into working in a business for somebody else as a recruiter. Mm-hmm. And then after a year, you're like, I can do this on my own better on my own better. And that's what you did. And in your first year, you hit major goals. Mm-hmm. And then which was what the beginning of this year was when you went into your no, 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 sorry. Over January COVID. of 2021. Yeah, you went into your business and then Kristen joined like in December. It was like September of October. last year. Yeah. yeah. 
she's been with me for about six months now. Right. And so now you guys, like from talking to Kristen, it seems like you guys complement each other and like you have your strengths, she has her strengths and you kind of blended and now like you're just kicking ass. Doing, doing okay. Yeah. I'm happy with how it's going right now. So yeah. we, we've and gone you have other from, people that work for you too, correct? We've gone from a team of me <laughs> to now a team of six, including me. Wow. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's and we super have people, cool. one guy in Hawaii, one guy or one girl in Tennessee, uh, two other people here in San Diego, and then Kristen and me. Are they all your friends? Either friends or people that were referred to us. So uh, Jason is somebody I know. I, I met him when I was getting out of the military. He was uh, in Naval Special Warfare with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ali is one of Kristen's friends. And then Jess was referred to me from someone I know within uh, the Honor Foundation. Uh, mm-hmm. I went through when I was getting out of the military. And then John was referred to me from my cousin who does recruiting. And he, um, he'd he been doing the reserves in the Air Force for a while. And he was looking mm-hmm. for something different. But he's, he's been doing remarkably well. He's out in Hawaii. Oh, cool. So you guys do recruiting for biotech companies? And how did you find that little niche? Or was it just kind of by accident? Yeah, the last company I was with put me on their biotech team. And it was just an environment I thrived in. I, yeah. I really love talking to the companies about what they're doing, the technology they're developing. And the the candidates that were placed in there are some of the smartest, most driven people I've ever met. I talked to this one girl and she had her... I forget the exact combination, but it was some combination of these four. She had her undergrad from Harvard, her uh, PhD from Stanford, and then a postdoc <laughs> from both uh, MIT and Berkeley. It was like... Oh, wow. Overachievers. Yeah. Yeah. In a different way. I think you're an overachiever. <laughs> They're all different. Yeah. So that was a recruit that you were trying to find a job for? Mm-hmm. Are you more into finding the companies that need replacement? Or are you finding, are you more the person that tries to find, like talking with the people and then finding their... That's where Christian and I have a, a good complementary relationship is I really mm-hmm. like the business development side mm-hmm. of finding the businesses to become clients mm-hmm. and she's done remarkably well at finding the candidates to, uh, to place at those companies. Do you think your background of being a sale seal is helpful and people like connecting with you and to, um, taking, having you take them on as like customers? I, I, I think it, I think it's very similar to having, you know, a degree from Harvard or you know, working at a prestigious company. It's, mm-hmm. it's another it's, it's something people can see and immediately recognize as a competent, uh, successful individual. Mm-hmm. You see someone that, that went to Harvard, you know, they're, they're smart and they're driven. You see someone that worked at Boston Consulting Group, um, you know that they've probably had a very successful uh, uh, professional career to where they ended up there. If, if somebody's a SEAL, you know that they have a strong work ethic. They're uh, they're trustworthy and they'll, they'll work hard to, to get whatever needs to get done. And so it's, it's just ways that people can recognize immediately uh, the value someone potentially brings to the table. So I, I look at it as getting a foot in the door. You know, mm-hmm. it, the, the seal trident will never land me a client, a client, but it'll get my foot in the door to at least have the conversation with them. And then from there, hopefully my, my charm will win them over. 
Yeah, that was kind of my next question. Do you like have it? Do you think that having your training has kind of given you like an upper hand in in life to have just because you always say you're like, yeah, it's easy. Like, but again, maybe it's like the mentality of like, you're like, should I went through like some of the hardest stuff? Life is easy, right? After going through. Well, it's easy because for me, I'm in flow when I do it. Um, mm-hmm. there's, there's other things that aren't necessarily easy that mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the... What's not easy, Kev? Well, I want to hear this. It's burdensome to do. So it, I have to sit down and very consciously be like, all right, I'm going to go through my accounting or I'm going to write these emails <laughs> or I'm going to uh, do this administrative stuff. Like, I, I am happiest when I just get to talk with people and build mm-hmm. the relationship and make connections. Mm-hmm. I don't like having to do repetitive paperwork. I don't like having to do uh, numbers and a lot of the, you know, the uh, very organized skills. That's why you have Kristen now. Exactly. And, she, <laughs> she, um, and so being able to focus on the areas that, that I get energy from again, mm-hmm. talking to people, building relationships, it brings in business for the company. And then I have other people, yeah, other tasks who, and I'm not just hiring people that are going to do those roles. I'm going to find people that enjoy doing those types of tasks. Like there, there's a reason why some people become accountants. There's a reason why some people become uh, office managers. You know, they, they, mm-hmm like doing those types of tasks and they get energy from it. They don't. Oh, I love that. You know, they, uh-huh. there's, like, you take an accountant, they're probably not mm-hmm. going to be great if they have to be on phone calls mm-hmm. with, with candidates and clients, mm-hmm. everything, but they don't want to mm-hmm. talk to people. They want to look at the numbers and make sure everything's neat and organized in a box and, uh, in an accessible way. You put them in a situation where they're not comfortable and they're going to be miserable. And so that's what yeah. one of the, the fun challenges of running a business has been yeah. is identifying what people are going to do well in certain in certain roles and putting them into that role instead of just hiring somebody and then forcing that mm-hmm. round peg into a square hole. Yeah, I love that too, though, because you say it's like creating, like being in the flow. And it's like when you have that all working and being in the flow, you are creating a business out of inspiration and flow. And it's just, I can only see it being like prosperous and growing, right? Because it's the And that's why I brought other people on because mm-hmm. I was literally doing, doing the business it. development, the candidates yeah. machine, the paperwork, the accounting, uh, the, the invoicing, everything I had to do. So I would re- recognize these are my tasks I need to complete. These are the ones I like to do. So these are the ones I, I'm going to outsource to other people. And it's been, you know, it's, you're, you're constantly trying to do an iterative method where you see what works, what doesn't work. And as long as you recognize quickly enough that, that something isn't working and change it, you know, it's, there's no real harm or foul in, in making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think's been harder, um, going through buds or starting your business? Business has been more stressful. Mm-hmm. Buds, you just show up, you put your head down, you work. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, it was it was a structured environment. We're here. <laughs> yeah, there's no structure. Like half the time, I'm, I'm flying this plane as I'm building it. You know. I, yeah. I, I never went through business before. I've never run a business before. And the military does not train you to to run your own business. It's, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not something that is a, not necessarily a needed skill set. You know, there's mm-hmm. skill sets you can definitely take from being a business owner that would be beneficial in the military. But the act of being a business owner isn't necessarily something they need. And so 
I'm, I'm having to learn a lot on the go. I'm having to reach out to people and rely on my network to, to ask mm-hmm. questions. Unfortunately, I've got a fantastic network of people who have a wide range of experiences who have been more than willing to help me. Oh, that's cool. And so it's becoming a, a process of, of learning as you go and, and self-evaluating, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work, and just having fun with it. But mm-hmm. there's definitely times when it gets a little stressful and you see the, the finances getting low, but then the universe provides. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. working out. Yeah. And I know Kristen brings that balance to you. What's the name of your company? Flintlock Solutions. Flintlocks. Is there a story behind that? There, there, there's the one I can tell that makes it sound inspirational. <laughs> and then there's the one that actually happened, which is I created a business in the span of a week and I needed to have a name. It's way too many former SEALs that have created companies that are trident something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I, it seemed like a good name. It showed uh, a little throwback to the military heritage. Mm-hmm. It's um, the image is the is a pitch is a picture of a flintlock pistol. So think mm-hmm. of like Revolutionary War old pistols where it's got that that cocking thing on it. You put black powder in, um, and so it was a fun naval throwback. It was something that I could showcase my uh, my naval heritage, but that would also be eye catching and memorable. Mm-hmm. I like that. I do. I, I appreciate your time in there. I do want to talk about, because I love this story of how you and Kristen met, um, because you literally met and got married like three months of knowing each other. So I, well, yeah, I love that. And so were you out of the military? You were in the military, right, at the time? Mm-hmm. And she was in Japan? Was I was in Korea. She was in Hawaii. Well, I thought she was working in... Oh, no, she went to Korea to be with you, right? Okay, because I thought she... So you met her, she was working somewhere, right? In a restaurant? She had left New York to go to Hawaii on a teaching job. The Hawaiian public school system is so atrocious. It only took... It wasn't even a year before she finally realized it was one school year, nine months. And she actually got out there a little late because they had someone quit. So she backfilled it. it. It was just so bad that she was not willing to, to keep doing it. But she went out there because she wanted to be there by the ocean, enjoy the beach, enjoy the warm weather, and of course, the surfing. Yeah. So she was figuring out ways to, to stay out there. And she was going back to school to um, be a, a physician assistant or something of that, of that uh, similar capacity. Mm-hmm. And was going to school and working at a bar. I think I met her the second, first or second night she was working in that bar. Oh, really? I, I was out there for work. I, it, was a, it was a tough assignment. I was sent out there for eight weeks to spend in Hawaii and traveling around yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the Pacific Theater uh-huh. for, um, for military training. And I met her about three weeks into that into that training trip. Did you know when, like, were you at that point where you're like, I want to get married? Or was it just like when you saw her? Cause right. Like what happened? I mean, I was, I assumed that for the two years I was in Korea, it was going to be, let's go have some fun, but I'm obviously not going to come back with a, uh, uh, <laughs> with a wife from, from this one. So I was yeah. just, I was out there just have fun, enjoy, enjoy life and not take it too seriously. 
Mm-hmm. And of course, that's when life throws you a curveball. Mm-hmm. So I met her. In... So wait, you were you were in a station in Korea, but then you got put into Hawaii for training. Yeah, for I was out there for five weeks, and then another three weeks to travel to other areas. Okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, I met her near the beginning. We hung out for about two and a half weeks, three weeks. When I went back to Korea, she came out there to visit for about three weeks. How did you make your move? Like, so she's working at a, like a bar or a restaurant, a bar? Uh, Nashville. Let's see. What was your game? What it, What was your move? There's no game. <laughs> I was we were already pretty, uh, pretty oh, You didn't start up. singing to her or something like in Top Gun? Uh, we, she, she was my, uh, my waitress at the bar. Uh-huh. And we, we just went in there with a fun group. There's probably 10 of us. Mm-hmm. And she saw it as, as a dollar sign. Oh, really? I mean, we're a big group. Uh, big yeah. group tip. Mm-hmm. But I was just friendly chatting with her. She seemed fun. She mm-hmm. told me she uh, moved out there from New York to surf. So mm-hmm. I asked her if she'd want to go on a on a date. She's like, I work too much. So I went back to the second <laughs> night, saw her again. And Did you go back the second night on purpose to see her? Or were you just going, okay. She was going to be working there. I'm like, all right, I'll come back then. Uh-huh. Uh- <laughs> You're like, I've done this before. <laughs> I, uh, I have Tuesday off. I'm going to go surfing. You can join me if you want. Oh, really? I That's nice of her. be a below average surfer. I mean, how many surfers do you know from New York? Not many. Yeah, right. Well, Blair was. Wait, so were, did you surf at that point? Were you a surfer? I had surfed. I would not consider myself a surfer. Yeah, and you're on Oahu, right? Is she in the North? Are you? Did you surf the North Shore? No, we were surfing just outside of Waikiki. Okay. I think we were at Bulls, if I remember correctly. So was it love at first sight when she was on the surfboard? You're like, oh, yeah. It was more of like, what did I get myself into? (laughs) (laughs) She just rips. (laughs) At that point, I probably surfed maybe 50 times in my life. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. So I I was in way over my head in terms of her skill sets compared to mine. I, I can do just fine in the water. I'm not, I'm not a drowning risk or anything, but yeah. you know, I'll, I'll definitely take my beating from the waves. Yeah. I love this so much. <laughs> so she, so she like did her little thing. And then you were like, after that, well, how did that go down? She's just a really cool chick, you know, very, right. she had a good head on her shoulders. She was very self-aware. Uh, very playful, always outgoing, trying to do things. Didn't take life too seriously, which she was... Does. She's so mature and she's yeah. so young. And she's, I'm like, God, you're more mature than I am. And you're like, I'm like double your age. <laughs> not that. No, not that much. But I'm like, she's just so mature. But yeah, so so then did you just... And then you hung out like after that and you were good with her. She was like, okay, I'm into you. Yeah. I think she said she knew within the first couple of days that she was going to marry. She didn't tell me that. Mm. She had her mind made up pretty early on. Really? So she let her walls down because at first she was like, no, but then she's like, okay, you can come surf with me. And then she was into you after that. Night number one, I was a drunk military idiot. So Right, right, right. So much of a leg to stand on. But the fact that I came back the second night uh, and then went surfing with her, got some tacos. Her mom was appalled that her first date was in a bikini eating tacos. She's like, of no one's in a bikini and you're eating tacos. 
<laughs> of course. So then you had, and how much longer did you have there to when you had, so that did you hang out like the whole rest of the time? Yeah. Cute. Oh, so then you, so then you left. Was it sad when you left? Oh, because we had already made plans to, for her to come out to Korea. And so we knew it was going to be a couple of weeks. I still had some travel that I needed to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, she came out to Korea for about three weeks. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Had a great time with my Korean roommate, Heidi. Mm-hmm. Two of them are still great friends. They're, I think they're... And Heidi, Heidi lives here now, right? In the U.S.? Florida, yeah. Yeah. And you guys are still like kind of close, right? Sorry, no. She, she lives in Rhode Island. Her, okay. her family. She has some family that lives in Colorado. Didn't she just get married? She got married a while ago. She just had a kid recently. Oh, okay. Because I thought I remember you talking about going to visit her. Yeah. Right? And we visited yeah. her when we were out in New York. Drove drove the van out to New York and then up to Rhode Island to see her at uh, Newport. Oh, cool. So then, so Kristen then comes out three weeks. And then was it during that three weeks you proposed to her? No, that'd be way too romantic. <laughs> We had a FaceTime conversation when she went back to Hawaii. What? You did it over FaceTime? It wasn't even like I proposed. Oh we just started God. talking about, you know, should we get married? And by then, the phone call, we're like, so are we getting married? Oh, my gosh. This and is hilarious. That was uh, beginning of November. I think that was November 1st. And we got married December 31st. So what was the indication? What was it? Because a lot of people are like, oh, you're going to be the one that I married. But what was it about her that you're like, I'm going to marry her? And you actually like went through with it. It'd be weird to say you're going to get married and not go through. Well, I feel like I mean, I've had people be like, yeah, you're going to be the one that I marry. And that that didn't happen. I mean, I think we're just both people that are very comfortable making decisions, sticking with them. You know, mm -hmm. we don't once we once we have our mind made up. We're just gonna we're gonna go through that, and we're very strong-headed people. That no one, no one, including her mom, flying out there with a handwritten page of reasons she shouldn't get married is gonna turn. Oh, around. is that what happened? Mm-hmm. Her mom did that. Had she had met you? No, I met them on Christmas Day before the wedding in Hawaii. Right, you guys got married in Hawaii. Yeah. So you met the mom the day before the wedding. Uh, six her days parents. before the wedding. So you didn't obviously you didn't ask her father. For her hand in marriage, I think we eventually called and I spoke to them, but I think that was after uh, Chris's mom flew out there with a handwritten notepad <laughs> of reasons to get married. And when Kristen answered every one of them and was still set on getting married, she's like, "All right, let's go pick out a wedding dress." Aww, so so. You per, you were doing FaceTime in November. You're like, okay, we're going to get married. And then in December, you flew back out to Hawaii? Yeah. Just to get married? Or like, were you on a trip for the military there? I mean, I took a week or so to, to do it. I mean, so, I mean it's over Christmas and, and New Year's. Oh, okay. What's going on? Okay. So you're like, I got this time off. Let's get married. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. So I got, romantic. <laughs> I got like 36 hours of Christmas because I was in Korea, which is west of the international dateline. Mm-hmm. Hawaii is just east of it. Uh-huh. So I, I had all Christmas Day in Korea. I think my flight was at 7 p.m. And then when I crossed the international dateline, yeah. I arrived in Hawaii at 8 a.m. So I had a whole other day of, of Christmas. <laughs> I love that. Twice. Christmas twice. That's genius. 
<laughs> so you guys got married. Was it a small wedding? We thought it was actually going to be a lot smaller because I was living in Korea. Kristen's in Hawaii. My family's in California. Her family's on the East Coast. So there was no convenient spot for, for us to get married where everyone's going to be able to join. Yeah. We just said, all right, we're going to do it in Hawaii and we're going to do it over New Year's and we'll see who, who can make it out there. So on two months' notice over a holiday, uh, we thought people just weren't, there weren't going to be that many people outside of the ones that were already in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had 50 people show up. Oh, wow. And then everyone's meeting for the first time at that. <laughs> my parents met her parents. I met her parents. Uh-huh. Met my parents. Did they, did they all like each other? Yeah, they're good friends now. And your parents, her parents obviously like accepted you after the note once they got to know you. They love me now. Yeah. That's so I like funny. Me at first, they, they didn't like you at first? Well, I mean, before they met me, I was some random military guy yeah. who married to their daughter after two months. Uh, and they don't know anything about me. Right. We're thrilled. We're not. Right. I think I think Kristen told her mom, it was right before Kristen's mom's birthday. Kristen's mom even said she ruined her birthday that year. It's <laughs> funny. <laughs> that's like a heavy burden but so um so then you guys are married and then you go back to korea and she stays in hawaii so and at that point you've literally only been with each other physically for six weeks right uh seven weeks after the wedding but yeah right because there was three three and then that week did you like that's crazy so then she goes back to Korea with you? Like, does she leave Hawaii at that point, right? No, she was still finishing up her school and her nursing stuff. Uh, she didn't come out to Korea until September. But we did oh, trip wow. back and forth. So, That's like eight months? Nine months? Yeah, so she came oh, wow. out in February for the Olympics uh-huh. in Korea. Uh, I went out there probably in April or something like that. And then... Uh, I went out again in July because she was leaving Hawaii. She was going to go back to, to New York. She'd been doing lifeguarding out in uh, Long Island for about the last seven years. Mm-hmm. So that was her, her regular routine. She would leave Hawaii during the summer and mm-hmm. go back to New York to do lifeguarding. So she was leaving Hawaii. I helped her pack up. We did a trip out to Kauai and stuff. Uh, and then in August, I think, I went out to New York to visit with her and her family. And then she came out to Korea the end of September, I believe. For good. For good, yeah. So like there. the rest of your duration that you were there. She came out there until uh, I came back to San Diego in March. Oh, cool. And I know like living in Korea was a really good experience. But I actually want to go back. Did you have cold feet like at the time of like the wedding? Were you nervous or you're like, yeah, let's do this? No. She was did good. she did she have cold feet? I don't know. Kristen, did you have cold feet? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, so then she and I know like living in Korea was a lot of fun for you guys. Did you like how was it now like living together after being, you know, because you obviously like in a I don't even want to say normal relationship, but usually how it goes is like you date you're like in the same city and then you're like, let's maybe live together. Okay. Let's get married. And then you live together. Was it like hard, like cohabitating together? 
and like, you know, trying to learn each other's ways. Cause you're both pretty strong headed. Like, was there any rifts? No. Cause I mean, it's also everything. We're in another so country too. Yeah. We're in another country <laughs> that she's never been to in terms of like long-term. She, mm-hmm. she visited a couple of times at that point. Um, but you know, she, she's living in another country. There's tons of new people, fun, exciting things. We're finally living together. together you don't know that you don't speak the language. I could read the alphabet and a lot of the times if you can read it, you can figure out some of the stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I mean, they, they all speak English over there mm-hmm. to some level. Every, everybody mm-hmm. in their, in their school system, they learn English. Mm-hmm. Oh, some, okay. are, some are more competent than others and some of them are more comfortable than others. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can usually get by with, with some level of, of, of English and you know, pointing at pictures and signing things out and stuff. You, you can get by pretty How well. How long were you living in Korea at that point? When she finally moved out there? Yeah, like, so how long were you stationed there, I guess? I was there for two years total. When oh, she got wow, out okay. there, I there for about a year and a half. Okay. And so then after, after you left Korea, is that when you got out of the military? I had one more year. Okay. And then you came back to Encinitas or to California? I moved back to Encinitas. I did one more year in Coronado. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, was, was that really- by choice or like, like they allowed you to do that? Like knowing you were going to get out or? Okay. And then how was that? Back here so that I'd get back to San Diego where I own the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'd be a job that I can do while planning my exit, you know, start looking for jobs, start doing whatever I need to do to make it a, a streamlined exit instead of finding myself one day no longer in the military with a paycheck and, and wondering what I'm going to do next. Mm-hmm. What was that decision like too? Like what had you want to get out of the military at that time? I was at the halfway point in my career, you know, just over. And that's, that's a decision point a lot of people make. You know, do you mm-hmm. do another 10 years to mm-hmm. get, uh, uh, to get the pension. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at, I'd, I'd done a lot of the stuff I'd wanted to do. Mm-hmm. The, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan have been dying down. So there wasn't that defined purpose of what I was doing in the military anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I looked at it as a, as a good transition point in my life to appreciate what I'd done, but find something new to define meaning. And, you, and plus you're you, married now, you, right? Cause if you stayed in, you'd get deployed and you'd be living that yeah, life. And we right? get moved around, we get moved to East coast or other mm-hmm. spots. So I didn't want to get moved anymore. Uh, Christian didn't want to get moved. And I, as I said, I, I didn't see much more opportunity to do stuff that I wanted to do. You can't be a SEAL forever. At some point, you have to get out. So I'd rather have it more on my terms mm-hmm. and That's be cool. able to bridge it into a second successful career, which mm-hmm. I'm trying to do now. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so then also, she, she had to come back to California and kind of get acquainted and like start a new lifestyle here in California too, right? As you can see, she's, she's really struggling in this new yeah, life. So hard. So hard. <laughs> so what, um, just like quickly, what are some other, like you had the deployment in Korea that then took you to Hawaii. Where are some other places? Did you have other deployments? Mm-hmm. I went to Afghanistan once. I was in a couple other countries in the Middle East. UAE, Yemen, not Yemen, uh, Oman. I served for a year in Virginia, two years out in Korea. 
in Korea, I traveled around to Japan, Vietnam, and a few other areas. Saipan. Saipan's fun. Did you have, like, sketchy, like, deployments, or were you, like... Oh, no, I, I wouldn't say that I was in situations that were life-threatening. Mm-hmm. What I was expected to, to be getting into, which it is what it is. You know, some people get lucky or unlucky, depending on how you, how you want to look at it with mm-hmm. how that they have. Um, but you can only chase the dragon so much. You know, so, so much of, of what you get into is, is luck of the draw. Right. Well, I'm assuming you wanted to be put in those situations where probably we're looking at like, thank God that you didn't get put in those situations, <laughs> which I'm sure it like can be like a struggle, right? Because that's why you go in. But yeah, well, I thank you for your service because I know like even what you're doing is a huge contribution for that. So thank you. I enjoyed the hell out of it. So it, it, mm. wasn't, it wasn't a burden for me, but I I understand that, you know, it, it takes a certain type of person to, to get in that, that type of career field. I enjoy doing it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because you're you're a sick individual, but I yeah, get it. Probably gonna sit in the ice bath for for ten minutes. I know exactly. Like you go in and you're like, yeah, this is so lovely, and then you stick your head under, and I like can't breathe watching you do it because I'm like hyperventilating that it's so cold. Good for the hair. And I always try to compete with you, which is kind of not a good thing to do. But it's Kristen. I know. I know it's not because I think the most I've gotten up to is six minutes, which I've declined since, you know, the winter comes around and I, I do. I'm lucky if I can get two minutes in there, but yeah, I just, I want to thank you so much for your time. This has been so fun. And I I had you on my radar from when I wanted to start the podcast. So thank you so much. Um, I love you and Kristen. So thank you. And, um, okay, you have me on. Yeah, it's been fun. I loved hearing all this because I know, like, I always try to get, I try to always ask questions all the time, but I can never really get the juicy stuff out. So thanks for giving me the juice today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And I'll see you soon. Thank you for listening. My hope is that this conversation has inspired you with a new awareness and has uncovered some beauty and wisdom within you. If you have enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share it with a friend and please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for me, please feel free to reach me at stephanie.brownyard at gmail.com. Talk to you soon.